I'm Laura Gentry Williams, and you're listening to Adopting It Forward. Adopting It Forward allows people to share their adoption stories in order to encourage you wherever you are in your adoption marathon, from bystander to runner in training to participant. Enjoy today's story. Hey everyone, welcome back to Adopting It Forward. In today's episode, we hear from my amazing friend, Debbie. She and her hubby, Brent, have three kids, two adopted and one bio. This story has so many factors with teachable moments, from an ectopic pregnancy to infertility, adoption, and a sweet miracle baby. Debbie tells the story of her journey with humor and honesty. I know you're going to enjoy my conversation with Debbie. All right, Deborah, welcome to Adopting It Forward. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> this is exciting. We met each other how long ago? I guess it's been about, what, two months now? Okay, maybe so. And it was like an instant, we're going to be friends. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because, well, you came to our church. What brought you to our little church again? We just wanted just a small church where we could just know everybody and be mm-hmm. friendly with everybody. And we didn't have to drive a whole half an hour right. to get there. Yes, we're in clothes. Yes. And we're just this little nuclear family there. Very friendly. Very friendly. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm so glad you and little Sophia came. Miss Chatterbox. Yes, she's so precious. <laughs> We've got her and Betty outside hanging out and swimming right now. Yes. So hopefully yes. we don't. You know, there might be somebody coming in needing a popsicle or something, but we'll see how that goes. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. I'm so thankful that you agreed to come in. We have tried to do this for a bit. Yeah, it's been a while. (laughs) Mm -hmm. At church, you shared your story with me, and we were both like, wow, this is, I said the story. We've got to put it on the podcast. We've got to tell it. It's so exciting. And what is it that you do? What's your occupation? I am a court reporter, a court stenographer. So I take down testimony at depositions. And you're married. I'm married. Yes. My husband, Brent, we've been married for 30 years now. Oh, wow. Yes. 30 years. We have our little Miss Sophia. She was our later in life blessing. I got pregnant when I was uh, 45 years old. Oh, my goodness. Yes. After being told that I couldn't have children and it's best that I just... Stay on birth control pills so I don't have an ectopic pregnancy. So I did that most of my life. And we did have the opportunity to adopt two wonderful children, the Sierra and Ryan. So how old are your adopted children? Our adopted children, Sierra is now 32 and Ryan is 30. Okay. And we adopted them when they were, Sierra was four and Ryan was six years old when we adopted him. So you've yes. had them all the way through there. And now yes. they're all grown up. Yes, all grown up. And so you're kind of the age span that my kids are almost, except a little bit more. Yes. <laughs> a little bit more difference. My kids are, thir- the bio kids are 34 and 27. So we're kind of in the same boat with that. Yes. And then here you have this little bonus baby. Yes. Miss <laughs> Sophia. She keeps she's, our lives very interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's precious. So you and your husband, did you go through a period of infertility or you just knew like... 
Yeah, we did actually. So when we first got married way back in 1991, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, you have these ideals in your mind. I mean, we never actually spoke about it, but we just assumed we'd have a big family, you know. Do you come from big families? No, we don't come from big families. And I think that's what made us want to have a big family. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it was three in my family. I was the oldest, three in his family, and he was the oldest, (laughs) but we had lots of cousins. So we just, you know, just assumed we would have a lot of children. When we first got married, I was in court reporting school. And um, he was working for IBM and he kept asking me, when are you going to get out of school so you could get a job and help me pay the bills? <laughs> well, I think when I was about um, maybe two months from graduating, I found out I was pregnant and it was an ectopic pregnancy. And I had no clue. I was just thinking because I always had bad gas in my life. I thought I just had gas on my right side. Oh, it's so painful. Yeah. And I went like that for a couple of days. And finally, that last day I went home, he was at work and I just, my side was hurting so bad. I stumbled down the steps and went across the street to our neighbors and they were elderly. I said, can you take me to the hospital? I don't feel well. And they said, honey, we think you need an ambulance not to be taken to the hospital. Well, I didn't realize it, that that topic had burst in my oh tube my and my whole stomach was filling up with blood. So I was That's rest- the worst fear with oh ectopic pregnancies. Yes. And I had no clue. It's a rupture. Oh my god. Because I had I had just found out. I was only a couple of weeks along mm. and I was afraid that he was gonna be upset with me when he found out I was pregnant because I was trying to get out of school. Mm. When I told him he was so happy, so I had finally just settled into being happy maybe two weeks. And went to the hospital, some emergency surgery. They had to remove my right tube. I only yes. had a left tube and my two ovaries were good. But the doctor said afterwards, you shouldn't try to get pregnant because it could be another topic pregnancy and you can die. So he he put me on birth control pills and just said, stay on those for the rest of your life. And we tried in vitro fertilization. My husband's company paid for one trial of that for your lifetime. And we were like the youngest ones in the IVF, you know, trial and everybody else was older. And we just assumed they were have a baby. You know, they implanted, I think, four None of them took. We were 25 years old. We were oh so devastated. And after that, um, we would go over my my husband's family's house and his little cousin would be there. His first cousin. Her name was Sierra. Mm. Little did we know we would end up adopting little Sierra. Oh, Yeah. So this was like so right family after. Family members. Yes. A oh, family member. How precious. And this was right after I had that ectopic pregnancy, which, you know, I was really sad And, you know, at that point, I hadn't been thinking about I want to have a baby right now. But when you find out you can't have a child, that makes you so much more want to. It does. And that's all you can think about. That's all I can think about. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like I really wanted a baby and we couldn't have one that IVF didn't work. And the doctor said just down birth control pills. So I was, you know, I was so distraught. And, you know, after when we met her, you know, she'd be sitting on my lap and I would be doing her hair. And his aunt would say, you like her, don't you? And I said, yeah. She said, why don't you take her home? And I said, no, I can't. But her father was having some challenges. Her father was actually uh, my husband's mom's brother. So she was his first cousin. He was having challenges with his girlfriend. Sierra's mom wasn't in the picture. She had some challenges and hadn't been in the picture since Sierra was 18 months old. And Sierra was about three then. Mm. So long story short, the uncle and the girlfriend had challenges. He ended up going to jail. We ended up adopting Sierra and brought her into our home. And, and did uh, they live far away from where you lived? No, we lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they lived like maybe about 
they live about 15, 20 minutes away from us. Mm. And um, so she. So you had known her since she was tiny? No, I had actually just met her. Oh. Yeah, it was really quick. <laughs> and like, you just had that connection. Yeah, it wasn't like oh. over years or anything. I had just met her. She was three. And when we brought her to our house, she was maybe getting ready to turn four. So it was over mm. a period of months. Oh. And, and this is one of the things that happens in a lot of CPS families is they're looking for yes. a placement, a family mm-hmm. placement. Yes. It was difficult because it was actually family. So, of course, other family members, they had their own opinions. You know, they looked at us as, I don't know if you call us the straight, boring ones. Mm. <laughs> you know, and other family members were the cool ones, you uh-huh. know, which, you know, to this day, it baffles me that, you know, you can have some people that are doing drugs in their minds. They're okay because they only do drugs Monday through Fridays. Wow. Yeah. And they thought me and my husband, Brent, were something was wrong with us because we were too boring. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, you know, I think I'm okay with that. Wow. So the uncle had to go to jail and I says, well, we're going to take custody of her, but you have to sign over your rights to us. And Mm -hmm. I was working at a law firm. So I was a notary and I had friends who were notaries. I remember we were standing outside of this unsavory bar that he was at. And he signed the papers on the back of some other guy. And my friend notarized him right then and there. Mm -hmm. And I think that next month he had to go to jail. And we took the papers to the court. They certified him. Of course, Sierra already had our same last name. Oh, because it was the same. It was the same. So it was an easy transition. She did have some challenges when she came to live with us. For example, I kept finding little like groupings of cereal in the corners of our house you know, behind the couch. And I thought, do we have mice or something? It's like squirreling in a way. Yeah. I didn't realize, you know, she would be used Mm. to her dad and his girlfriend. They would have a drunken binge or a drug binge and they wouldn't be awake. So she would have to get her own food. So she was hiding food in the corners just in case she needed it. But it was so, you know, she was just so quiet. And so you could tell she was just used to like no stability because she was just any little thing. She would just be like, okay. You know, like, I remember when I went to wash her hair, you know, she just started screaming. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to wash your hair. But just the littlest things that she wasn't used to having done to her, you know. And for about two years, she lived with us. And she was just the most quiet, easygoing child, very obedient, just would go in the corner by herself. She'd be happy playing with a pillow. (laughs) You know, she'd just sit there and just talk to herself and just have her own fun. And when I say, come on, see her, it's time to go. And she'd say, okay. And we, I told my husband, I said, I want, I want another child. And he said, no. And I said, yes. <laughs> and he says, well, if we can't have our own, then we're not having any. You know, he was of that mindset. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to have, he was okay with Sierra because she was his family member, but he didn't right. want us to go out and adopt. You know, right. by that time, you know, we had been married for about three years and, you know, everybody's asking, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? And that was very painful for me every time right. somebody would ask. You know, I just wanted to break down and cry. Sure. Well, it does. I feel like in anyone who goes through infertility, we know that because for me, I got pregnant really easily with our oldest mm-hmm. and then had an ectopic pregnancy a few years later when we're like, okay, we're ready to, mm-hmm. you know, to grow our family. Right. And so we discussed growing our family through adoption, my mm-hmm. husband and I, and he was the same mindset. Mm-hmm. For a man, sometimes that's a little, they just can't even imagine not loving someone who's not in their family. Right, right. But for us, when we want to grow our family and it just feels like, I mean, did you feel like everyone around you was growing their family and it just seemed like the simplest thing in the world? I really felt like that because, you know, I was, we had a, a wonderful church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We went to called Bible Way Church and I taught Sunday school and 
all the kids love being around me because I love children. And, you know, mm-hmm. they always wanted to go to Miss Debbie's house. When we go to Miss Debbie's house, and you know, I have all kind of kids over all the time. And for some reason, the Lord always seemed to make my ministry to single women. I had a whole bunch of kids by different guys. You know, I'd take them to the grocery store or help them with their kids, do their hair, or make sure they came to church and things like that. And I remember one, it was she was a good friend of mine. Her name was Lisa. She got pregnant again by another guy. I think she ended up having like nine or 10 kids. And she said, I want to give this baby to you. You know, inside of me, I was happy, but my logical mind said, no, that's not a good idea. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but everybody just, they felt for me. But it's they, thoughtful. Yeah. That's kind. Yeah. And you don't know what to do with that. Yeah. You yeah. really don't because you're like, well, I don't know where to go with this. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and... yeah, your heart goes out, but then your logical mind is like, oh, this is probably not going to end well. Mm. Finally, my husband, he agreed that, okay, you know, we can adopt. We went to adoption classes through uh, Catholic charities, Mm. you know, and we had to take parenting classes. It was through the YMCA. I think we had to go for six weeks and we'd go on Saturdays. And, you know, it was us and a class of whole other people that wanted to adopt. You know, they would talk about different tools, give us different parenting tools and everything. And then towards the end, we got to see binders of children that needed adopting. And oh my God, it was so sad. Mm. There would be big giant D-ring binders of whole families that needed adopting. Mm. Not just like one picture, but a one picture with four children and one family that needed adopting. It's like, oh my God, I want to help. But I, I don't, I can't take in four children. Right. It feels overwhelming. And, and not everyone's called to that. Some yeah. people will say, I'm not, I can't do that. And then suddenly they're like, you know what? I think I will. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I we, get what you're saying. Yeah, we, yeah, we were, you know, newly married, still young. And, you know, we both worked full time. And I remember there were two kids we were looking at. They were twins, twin African-Americans boys, uh, Khalil and Khalid. Mm. I think they were two years old. And we had like an adoption counselor and she would, you know, kind of walk us through what we needed to do. And she said, well, there's a single mom that's actually looking at adopting them. But the adoption agency will always choose a two parent home over a single Mm. so we said well we don't want to mess up her chances if she's already been meeting with Mm. them you know we see the picture and we like them but we don't want to mess up hers let that go but most of the people in our adoption class everybody wanted brand new newborn babies Mm. but there were whole binders full of older kids and you know they said in our class unfortunately the older children are the last to be adopted and that just Oh, it just broke my heart, you know, so me and my husband talked about it. And my husband, his name is Brent. He's biracial. His dad is Caucasian and Hungarian and African-American mix. Oh, wow. So, you know, we felt like, okay, there's black people that will adopt black children. There's white people that will adopt white children. But then sometimes there's these biracial kids that are somewhere in the middle that are kind of discriminated against by both. Yeah, because my husband kind of grew up like, you know, he was the only light-skinned, curly-haired guy (laughs) growing up. Yeah, and everybody else, like his mom's like a darker skin, but with her and the dad come together, they made a really light-skinned, curly-haired baby. So everybody else in his family is dark-skinned with, you know, with tight curly hair. (laughs) So they always made fun of him. They called him the insurance man. Because the only white man that came through the neighborhood was the insurance man. So, you know, he grew up with that. So, you know, we mm-hmm. talked about it. He said, you know, I want to adopt a biracial child. And I said, oh, me too. Goodness. And he said, and then they said in our adoption class, a lot of times girls will get adopted before boys. So we said, we want to adopt a biracial child that's a boy. That's mm-hmm. a little bit older. 
So we didn't actually go through meeting a lot of kids. We met one child. His name was Ryan. Ryan Anthony Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> so we looked in the books and we saw he liked baseball and something else. And we got a picture of him. He was, um, it was a black and white picture, so we couldn't see him that good. So we said we want to meet him. So our caseworker set it up and we drove out to this mall, like, I don't know, 45 minutes from where we lived at. And we met him and he was with his foster dad. And he had this curly hair and these little chapped lips. And he was holding on to this little white, dirty stuffed animal. <laughs> so we walked around with him in the mall for a while. And the foster grandpa went somewhere. And Ryan said, where did my grandpa go? And we said, oh, he's here. We're just getting to meet you. And he's like, okay. So we went to the train store. And he liked trains. He and my husband were talking. And so I think we had you know, some time that, that day. And then we said, okay, we'll see you again. So the next week, we came back and met him again. And the foster grandfather said, okay, well, they're going to take you to McDonald's. And Ryan said, okay. So we're driving down the road and Ryan says, I think we already passed McDonald's. And we thought, okay, this kid's kind of <laughs> smart. smart. Yeah. yeah. And he was, I think he was about six then. And that what that didn't take too long either. I think we visited with him for maybe two more weekends and we um, let him meet Sierra. We met at one of those places with the big ball pit. Mm-hmm. And of course, Sierra was real, this easygoing child, you know, she just kind of, would, you know, play, play with other kids placidly. And, you know, Ryan was more, you could tell he was more of a bossy leader type. Come mm-hmm. on, Sierra, yeah. let's go in here. And Sierra would just kind of fall along. like, wrong. okay. Yeah. Even though, you know, she was, she was older than him, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and um, we thought this is going to work well. They kind of get along really well. So we started the fostering process first because you have to go through foster before you can adopt and he lived at a foster home they have the foster homes that they're emergency situations they'll take in children that need somewhere to go in the middle of the night if they've been hurt or if there's Mm. a situation so he actually lived in this foster home from the time he was born oh my goodness his mom when she got pregnant she was a teenager and she got pregnant and her and her mom had altercations so she had to go to a group home and she gave birth while she was at the group home. And, you know, he kind of just lived there from, and she would come and visit him, but he never actually lived with his mom. They tried teaching her parenting skills because we got a whole write-up on him and it never did work out. He just, oh, you know, smart. lived there till he was six or whatever. So he came with us. I think it was one, he spent one weekend with us and they told us that he was on Ritalin, but they told us he was only on it between nine o'clock and two in the afternoon. Mm. And we thought, okay, you know, but he wasn't on it on the weekends. And so we had met him over the last month or two and he had never been on it. And we thought, well, why does he only need to be on Ritalin? Right. (laughs) You know, and I thought, hmm. So I thought, you know what? I don't feel comfortable giving my child anything I haven't experienced first. So I took one of those Ritalin pills. Oh, really? I did. (laughs) And you know what it made me feel like? It made me feel like if you would take a Benadryl, you know how you feel like you're kind of sitting there and everything's happened, but you're just sort of sitting there groggily watching it, but you can't really react. That's how the Redland made me feel. I thought they're just trying to sedate him during the school hours, it sounds like. Wow. So So you didn't give it to him? I didn't give it to him. And you know what's funny? He stayed with us that weekend. And then I think about a month later, he came as a foster. So he was living with us as a foster child. One time when my husband asked him to do something he didn't want to do, he said, I think I need my medicine. (laughs) And my husband said, oh, you're pretty, pretty wise to this, aren't you? <laughs> He's like, you only this need, is how this works. Yeah. You only need your medicine when it's something you don't want to do. <laughs> right. And it was funny because I think the foster family, the foster grandpa and grandma were having like a big cookout for all the kids that had ever been through there. Mm. So we went back out to their house and visited them because we had never really been at the house before. <laughs> 
were nice people, but you could tell they kind of took in kids for money. Like they had this big refrigerator mm. and it had a big keg in it. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. nice. <laughs> You're like, don't touch mommy and daddy's juice yeah, over here, I, I guess. Like, and then they <laughs> were showing us these pictures and photo albums where they had like dressed the boy up like a girl and put lipstick on him. And they thought it looked so funny and so great. And me and my husband were like, oh, my goodness. Thank like, you, Lord, that we had the chance here? to get this kid out of here. You know, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Was, and then the, the foster mom asked us, she's like, have you seen any of this behavior? He used to curse at me and throw his food at me if, if it was something I didn't like. And we thought, no, we've never seen that behavior. Aww. So it's amazing how children could be in one instance yes. when they're taken out and put into another environment where mm. a certain behavior is expected of them. Mm-hmm. You know, And just to have you guys both there and, you know, for him to get that special attention, yeah. I'm sure coming from that big group situation. So we've been trying to have this conversation a long time, but you're my first African-American friend that I've been able to get to come on the podcast, which I appreciate that so much, Deborah. And do you feel like there's a stigma in the black community for adoption? It's not that I don't ever see it Mm -hmm. and I'm meeting more and more people, right? but maybe in the past it wasn't something, and you did this a long time ago, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, that's very cutting edge as far as I know, at least as far as I know in our community. Right. Well, I don't know so much as it's like a a stigma or a prejudice. I think it's more so, I know even when I was growing up, I had a lot of friends and neighbors who somebody always lived in their house that it wasn't their sister or brother. Mm. So I think in the black community, it's always been kind of a sense of taking care of our own. Like if you know if some, your cousin, uncle or whoever, or the kids down the street, if you know that their parents are always fighting or somebody's on drugs, Somebody always takes that kid into the house. They might not technically adopt them on paper, mm. but it's just been always something I feel like the black community has done for generations. Yes. So I don't know so that much that they'll actually, a lot of people will go out and go to adopt because the adoption process is a lot. It is. It's a lot. I mean, we had to have a home study, which was like $800. You know, I just thank the Lord that Catholic Charities paid for that. Mm. But it's a long drawn out process. Oh my gosh. It took a long time. Yeah. And you've got to go in and work for that and search it out. And so that's very interesting. That is true. The more I think about it, any of my friends who maybe grew up in a different home, Mm -hmm. it might be with their auntie or their grandmother or whatever, which is what we want that's precious and it's like in your oldest daughter's case Mm -hmm. how she was a family member and you guys took her in and then you know also if you say if you take in a family member or if you take in a kid down the street or whatever there will be benefits to help you like the state will help you with things if you go out and just physically go out and adopt a child you might not have benefits to help Mm. you you know like we did have benefits to help us in the case with ryan because they consider him special needs only because he was a little older and of the age that might not get adopted and because he was a boy and because they had him on Redland between nine and two in the afternoon. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, that is true. I would say that there's a really high percentage of kids in the foster care system that are on some sort of yes. medication. I mean, as a whole, yes. I feel like a lot of boys are on medication. Yes. I have never done that with my son. We have family members who maybe have done that for a little bit with their sons, if just for yeah. a brief period. Right. And maybe that did help him get through yeah. the beginnings of, I don't know, kindergarten mm-hmm. or whatever. But so he never went back on any sort of medication. No, he, he's never been back on any sort of medication. And well, and part of his thing is probably he's really 
I mean, he sounds like he was super sharp as a six-year-old. Yes. So his mind was running the whole oh, time. Oh, he was very smart. I remember um, when we first brought him home with us, we walked up the street, he and I and my daughter, Sierra, and we walked up to the park. And I think he had only been living with us for maybe about a month then. And he was on the merry-go-round. And I, said, I asked him, I said, do you think you'll ever call me mom? And he was like, you know, only six, he's six, yeah. He says, well, you know, when you first meet somebody, you can't just immediately start calling them mom. You have to get to know somebody. And I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, this six-year-old is well, Let's just analyze this yeah. right now. And, you know, he's always been that type. He's always been the type to ask questions and always been the type to question mm-hmm. authority. So I'm sure they didn't like that. And that was probably mm-hmm. one of the reasons he's why. He's like, they- well, tell me why mm-hmm. I'm needing to do that yes. right this minute. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I always told him, I said, you know, when you grow up, you you would be an excellent attorney because you love to argue your point, you know, and just play devil's advocate and say, well, what if this? Well, what if that? Mm -hmm. And it it is kind of exasperating. No, sure. (laughs) Those of us who have raised those kind of kids, Mm -hmm. we know. But it also, those are the kids that if we can help them kind of channel all that, it is amazing. And I've always told all of my kids, I Mm -hmm. feel like, have a definite stubborn streak. But if they do... And curious streak, then that channeled is the best. Yes. They do that in the right direction. Right. Because we don't want to break that. No, we don't. And you know what? I feel like now that I'm older and with now that I have Sophia, my focus has really changed on parenting. Like when I I feel like when I had my my two adoptive children, you know, and I was younger in my twenty fives, I felt like the most important thing was discipline and oh, making yes. sure everybody knows that my children are disciplined and they listen they to behave. me. Yeah. And now my focus is more so on, I want Sophia to be an independent thinker. Mm. I realized that this life is very fleeting. I'm mm. not going to be here forever, you know? So I feel like this is a, a blessing that she's been given to me and she's not my child. She's mm. God's child. So it's my responsibility to just kind of mentor mm. her to what God wants her to be. Whereas I felt like with my adoptive children, I felt like these children are going to listen to me and they're going to bend <laughs> right. to my will and they're going to do what I say. But now that I'm oh, older and... I know. It's, <laughs> well, we just we just don't know what we don't know. When yeah. we're young and yes. we're all energized mm-hmm. and we've got these kids, the yes. Lord's entrusting us with yeah. these kids and they're going to turn out this certain <laughs> way. I know. I We're so hard on the oldest ones. And yes. then as we get older, we kind of... Mellow out. Mellow. We're like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? That's fine. Yeah. Wear that outfit. Yeah. It totally clashes. It's fine. Yep. Yeah, because even <laughs> even people who meet me now who knew me when I had my adoptive children see around are like, wow, you're you're so different. I think, yeah, all that time I was crying out to the Lord, like, Lord, how come everybody else can have a child and, and not me? I'm, I'm serving you. What, what's going on? And he had a better plan than what mm-hmm. I thought was the plan. You know, now I'm older, I'm more mm-hmm. settled, I'm more relaxed, and I'm not so hyper focused on every little thing and I can really enjoy yes we can enjoy those kids <laughs> yes. and be like they're who they're supposed to be yes. and I'm just here to help kind yes. of steer them in the right direction and mentor them that's per I like the way you said that I, I actually had to apologize to Sierra our older side <laughs> yeah, I apologize to my kids Sierra, all the time. I just want to apologize you know I had never raised a child before mm. and I was just so hard on you to try to expect you to be perfect because I was never perfect and there's no way I was ever going to be perfect. There's only one perfect person and that's Jesus Christ. <laughs> and see here, and my, my little one, Sophia tells me all the time, mommy, there's only one perfect person. I said, yeah, you're right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> She's just so precious. Today's episode is brought to you by The Cookie Barn. 
cookies with purpose. You guys, order some of these cookies. They're so delicious. They have maple chocolate chunk, plain chocolate chip, chocolate cream. Oh my gosh, they're so good. They have the cream in the middle. Delicious. Sea salt butterscotch or my own personal favorite, oatmeal cinnamon cookies. Delicious. A portion of every order goes to support Encourage One Another or E1A, a nonprofit whose mission is to support and encourage foster and adoptive families in order to keep families intact and help them thrive. Now, back to our show. <laughs> so, tell our listeners, your daughter, right? Mm-hmm. She had, so you and your daughter, what happened with that? So, me and my oldest daughter, Sierra. So, we were living in Hawaii, and Sierra and Ryan, they grew up, they graduated from high school. Sophia, um, Sierra. They graduated in Hawaii? Yeah, they graduated okay. in Hawaii. Okay, wow. Them, yeah. That's they cool. were They were so upset with us when we moved to Hawaii. They were getting ready to start high school. They said, we're not going to interact with any of the kids on an island yeah. how dare you yeah i think after a week <laughs> about a week they were calling all their friends from pittsburgh saying it's so nice here oh i'll bet yeah their friends were like don't even talk mm-hmm. to me i can't even think about what you're but, doing right yeah, now <laughs> but sierra joined the army and ryan joined the navy mm-hmm. and um you know i was telling my husband i said you know i still have the desire to have a baby and he said well i don't he said, we got food in the refrigerator. We got a little <laughs> bit of money in the bank and the house is clean. No more kids. And I said, well, these children are growing yeah. up and they're going to go off and he's, do their thing. He's like, I don't think, I said, I don't think the Lord would give me this feeling if he, this desire, if he didn't mean for something to happen with it. He said, well, until the Lord gives me that feeling and that desire, we're not having any more kids. And I says, okay. And, you know, I had been seeing the doctor and they told me, well, you know, if you want to try again, you know, you're getting older or whatever. And. So we decided we go on a couple of trips. So me and my husband, we went to New Jersey to visit his brother and we went to Maui and a couple other places. So while we are on Maui, we went to this really neat place called the Lavender Farm. And it's a big, huge farm. Oh my gosh, I've seen pictures. Oh, it is just amazing. You oh. feel like you're in London or something. There's all this fog and this beautiful lavender and it's just, wow. it's magical. So we met this guy there. His name was Mr. Walter Shannon. And he's an older African-American guy from New York, but he lived in Maui. Hmm. And he was so funny. I was sitting there at the, <laughs> the lavender store talking to him. And I think my husband was somewhere in the lavender fields. And he was there with his guests. And he was just so funny. He was cracking me up. I said, you know, you remind me of my husband. I says, all our friends come here from the mainland. And he's like the travel guy. He shows them all around the island. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tour guide. Yeah. He said, I'd like to meet your husband. I said, well, he's down here. He'll come up in a minute. So he met my husband and they hit it off. And he says, I want to invite you guys over to the lodge. We're going to have dinner, me and my guests. So we went back with him and had a wonderful time. Then we went to his house and we sat on the lanai, which is called, that's the patio. Okay. The yes, la- lanai. That term. And we exchanged numbers. We had to fly back to our island and then he and my husband kept in contact. So whenever my husband would have to fly over to that island and work, he and Mr. Shannon would meet and have lunch or whatever. So on one of the trips when my husband came back and he says, you know what? He said, Mr. Shannon, he's 80 something years old. He said he has a convertible. His house is paid off. He has everything. He said he's basically paying people to come over there and visit him because he's lonely. Oh. He said, I don't want to be like that. He said, if you think the Lord's talking to you about having another child, then okay, we could try. So I stopped taking my birth control pills, but I didn't think anything was going to happen. From all right? those years of yeah. taking birth control. And I think I was like 44 then. And we went on our trips and we came back from um, New Jersey. And I told him, I said, I feel like I'm sick. And I went to the doctor. 
and they told me I was pregnant. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> oh you goodness. know, I said, all these years we've been trying. By then, we have been married 21 years. Yes. And I had kind of, I won't say I'd given up hope, but yeah, I hadn't given up hope. You know, I thought I was just content with my life. Lord, mm-hmm. you know, you blessed me with this wonderful husband. Mm-hmm. I have these two beautiful children that we adopted. And there are children, you know, right. off in the world. And, <laughs> you know, we have this home. And then to find out I was pregnant, I was just flabbergasted. I felt like, like <laughs> it just can't be true because... We had so many false starts, you know, mm-hmm. over those 21 years, like so much hope, like, oh, we're putting all our hope into this half yep, it's going to work. And boom, it didn't work. Failure again. Like the frustration every month of knowing my monthly menstrual cycle would come. I would be so depressed. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. feeling like, oh, I think I'm pregnant. I think I'm pregnant. And then I started my cycle. Like, oh, no. You know, and I felt like nobody understood that feeling, no. you know, it's, it's, just, it's devastating. And you don't want to be talking about yeah. it all the time. And you want to be happy for your friends yeah. and family who are pregnant. Yeah. But just that. Yeah. And then I think oh when goodness, I was like 21 years, 21 years, and then I was uh, maybe about four or five months along my daughter. She was stationed in Florida and she called me and she says, Mom, I got to tell you something. This is my oldest daughter, Sierra. I said, what? She says, I'm pregnant too. I said, really? She said, yes. Yeah. Oh, good. She said, you're not mad, Mom, because I'm not married. I said, no, however the Lord brings a baby into this world is a blessing. So we were talking all throughout the pregnancy and, you know, the doctor had said I was advanced maternal age, so I probably deliver early and you know, my daughter was having all kind of problems with placenta previa throughout her pregnancy. So they had scheduled her to go in for a C-section in January. And I hadn't had any problems, even though they were giving me a sonogram every month. I got a 3D sonogram. I got everything. <laughs> you got and, the works. Yeah. That is one nice thing about being a little bit yeah, older. When you you get, get yeah, you get kid glove care. <laughs> and so when I went in, my doctor finally says, she said, well, you're past the 39 week mark or whatever. We can send you in and induce your labor, you know, because my feet had started to swell up. So I went in that Wednesday to the hospital, Queen Leliukalani Hospital in downtown Honolulu to induce my labor. Nothing happened the first day. Nothing happened the second day. I'm on the phone with my daughter. I said, I don't even know what people are complaining about. These contractions don't even hurt. <laughs> I only dilated to like maybe four centimeters. Oh my well, about f- by Friday, which is the day she was due to go in and have her C-section in Florida, my blood pressure dropped really low Friday. So they decided to do emergency C-section on me on Friday. So I delivered my C-section. I had Sophia. She was born around two in the afternoon. Well, my daughter went into her hospital in Florida, have her C-section and she delivered naturally. So she had a baby girl, Kalia. Oh, and I had Sophia. Yeah, so two girls. And, you know, the whole time along my pregnancy, since, of course, I had 21 years to, you know, try to figure (laughs) out what my baby's going to look like. You know, you know, I kept looking at pictures of my husband when he was little thinking, oh, "Oh, it's my baby. What will she look like? Yeah, because he has one brother (laughs) with green eyes and one with gray eyes. I'm like, what's my baby going to look like? And he has this curly hair. Well, when my baby came out, she looked like this little Hawaiian princess, sort of like um, Moana. 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 She kind of does. She's beautiful. She's got the best hair. Oh, it's gorgeous. (laughs) Well, when my daughter's baby came out, she came out as this really light, bright with green eyes and this big, giant, woolly hair. (laughs) So it's like we switch, right? Recessive genes, right? Yeah, that's true. And the whole time in the hospital, you know, the the nurses kept asking me, you know, I had all these little Filipino nurses and whenever my husband was at work or whatever and not in the hospital room they said 
is your husband Filipino? And I says, no, he's black. And they're like, are you sure? Because your baby looks Filipino. This is really, you're like, well, there's all kinds of things happening in this family. So it's fine. They're like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. And, you know, she was really light when she was first born. I remember we took her to the pediatrician and the pediatrician scolded me. She's like, keep this baby out of the sun. She was, I said, well, you know what? One thing about African-American babies (laughs) When, when whenever they're born, they're all really light with curly hair. Mm-hmm. But we always have this saying is look behind their ears, right? And if the ear is brown, that's the color that the baby's usually going to be. Oh, And okay. then the pediatrician also told me, she said, well, you know, I know her hair is nice and curly now. She said, I just want to prepare you. It's probably not going to stay this way. <laughs> it is really. I know. It's like a different. It's a different texture. It's a beautiful texture. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So And we pretty. said, well, we don't care what texture her hair is. We're going to be just happy with whatever, you know. And all <laughs> right. along the pregnancy, you know, the doctors were telling me, you know, we want to give you an amniocentesis since you're older. She might have Down syndrome. And I said, I don't need your amniocentesis. I don't we're need anything. having a baby. I said, That's if she has Down syndrome. Guess what? I'm going to love her because Mm. this is the baby and the blessing that God gave me. (laughs) How perfect. And just the miracle of having that baby. Yes. I remember somebody asking me because I had to have a hysterectomy at 34. I had Mm. a lot of issues, but Mm -hmm. we did have a baby. You know, we had the ectopic and I'm thankful. We we had it in Australia and I'm thankful that the doctor didn't say to me, don't try to get pregnant again because we went through a lot of infertility, but Mm -hmm. then we did get pregnant um, with our second daughter but it's just always so you know so crazy you're expecting this baby you're like what is this baby gonna look like exactly. I, and people ask me later because I never felt like my family was finished mm-hmm. because James and Betty were supposed to be in our family yes I never felt like our family was finished but people would be like even you know in my 40s they were like would you have any more kids and I was like well I can't mm-hmm. but I just don't feel like our family is finished and at 45, I feel like I still could have had mm-hmm. a baby. I remember asking a friend one time, because when you're 25, 45 sounds so like one foot ago. in the grave. Yeah, it sounds like so old. <laughs> but don't you feel like it also makes you, you know, we talk about all the time, like we would have had our kids in the in our 40s mm-hmm. if we would have birthed them. And we think, you know, it makes you feel younger. And your life isn't over in your 40s no, where you're like, I can't isn't. parent anymore. I mean, it's just amazing how the Lord just... It was supposed to happen. Yes. So he gives you this youthful vigor that you're like, yes, I can yes. totally do this. And Yeah, because like other people who are my age, you know, and they found out that I have a child, they're like, oh, my God, I don't know how you do it. And I think, mm. you know, me and my husband talk all the time and we're like, we can't imagine what our lives would be without Sophia. You know, we'd right. be sitting around here. Yeah, I'd be probably... I don't know, going off with my 50-year-old girlfriends, I don't know, doing this and that. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with traveling. That's always fun. But you can still have a life, Mm -hmm. but it's, they just make it fuller. They make it so much fuller. Like, I remember after uh, Sierra and Ryan, you know, went off and joined the military. Me and my husband, we had this big five-bedroom home in Hawaii, and everything was perfect. There was nothing out of place. We would come home from work, and, you know, there'd be a little crumb on the the counter, like, did you do that? No, (laughs) did did you you do that? that? It well, like, it was one of us. Yeah. It was like nothing to do. Everything was it's like true. perfect. I, had, I know. That is so funny you say that because when our daughter went off to college, we had that one year without the kids. Mm-hmm. And so she would be gone and we'd be like, oh, you know, when she would come home mm-hmm. for 
Christmas or spring yeah. break. Or, oh, baby, you just leave that teacup right there on the table. So we can have something to I do. I was so <laughs> thrilled. I know. It was just the weirdest thing. I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You look forward to it for so long. And yeah. be careful what you wish for. Yeah, because, I mean, I hear all these people say, you know, we can't wait to be empty nesters. We can't mm. wait for this. And me and my husband are thinking. I, just, I don't know. I just always feel like mm. my friends are always either somebody way older than me or way younger than me because the people who are my age right now either they don't like their husbands or they don't like their kids or they don't like their life I feel Mm -hmm. like I love my husband I love my daughter I love my life I love this life that the Lord gave me I love that he gave me this life that he chose not not the one that I had planned out it's completely different than yeah (laughs) like I had planned out I was going to have five kids at Mm -hmm. the age of 25 (laughs) <laughs> with no real career and, you know, no real experience of being married, you know. But now it's like, okay, we've been married for 21 years. We mm-hmm. were friends first. Yes. You know, so we, we understand each other. We have a rhythm to our family and it's just so sweet. <laughs> it is. And I mean, could he love that baby girl more than he loves her? <laughs> no. And she is the spitting image of him. I mean, Aww. everything. You know, he says all the time, he says, wow. She is really me. I mean, my husband's very technical minded. He's he's an electrician by trade. He does mm. computer repair for IBM. Mm. And my daughter is so much like him. Like he would tell me his, his grandmother bought him a clothes and play when he was young. And he took it apart because he wanted to see how it worked. And she was so upset with him. Well, my <laughs> daughter's the same way. She like takes stuff apart. And I'm like, what do you do? Let's see how this works. Yeah. But then she puts it back together or she explains stuff to me like, I had no clue that that's how it worked. And she's only nine. <laughs> yeah. She likes to explain things. It's she fine. really does. Oh my gosh. She's so precious and so outgoing and just, she's really fun. She is amazing. But the, so to top it all off, my older daughter is coming next week and she's bringing my grandbaby. Aww. So she's going to drop our grandbaby off and she's going to stay here with us until the 30th. So Sophia and Kalia will have the summer together and we'll send them to art camp. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. So are they buddies? Yeah. You know, it's funny because Sophia is more like the boss. You know, she's more like the serious one. You know, she (laughs) wants to tell you all the facts. Whereas my grandbaby Kalia is just like my daughter Sierra was. She'll just sit by herself and just have her own fun, talk to herself. And she's real giggly and just she follows along whatever, whatever, whatever Sophia wants to do. She's like, okay, their relationship works. works. It does. (laughs) And, you know, my son, Ryan, he actually moved here. So he lives in Irving. Oh, okay. So he, he, it was funny, you know, he kind of, you know, of course he went through that. You know how boys kind of go through that in their teen years. Mm -hmm. I'll say from the time he was 13 all the way till maybe he was 19. He was like at odds with my husband, you Mm -hmm. know, because he was in that stage where I don't know if you know, where boys go through that stage where they don't want to wash up. They're so stinky. (laughs) I turn the shower on and don't get in. Yes. My husband tells those stories. Yeah. And it's like, you know, so then we were going to move because we lived on Oahu, but we were going to move to the other island. So we said, okay, so you have to decide where you're going to go. Are you going to go to college off the island or to the military? So he decided he was going to go to the military, which we thought. Well, after he went away to basic training and he came back, we're trying to figure out, well, when are you going to get deployed to your duty station? Well, he tricked us. He didn't really join the military. He joined the reserves. Oh. (laughs) So he only wanted to, you know, work like his one weekend a month and work at McDonald's. And he wanted to trade tennis shoes on eBay. Okay. And we said, no, that's not working for us because it's very expensive here in Hawaii. And, you know, if you want to do that, that's fine. Then you're going to have to pay rent. I don't know. We said like 250 or 500 a month. Well, he didn't want to do that. So he moved out and he moved in with our neighbors down the street. 
<laughs> and they loved them. They had two other kids. And he probably had, helped them all the time, too, because oh, they oh, always, yeah. they're so helpful at other oh, people's was, houses. he was so helpful. I think he paid them like $300 a month rent. They loved them. They ended up moving to Colorado. He moved to Colorado with them. So then after we moved to that island, we moved to Oregon. And then, you know, we still kept in contact with him. By then, he was in his 20s, maybe 25. My husband was working for IBM, but he knew the manager at Toshiba who said he was looking for somebody. He says, well, you know, I know your son's technical minded and I would hire him because I know he has your expertise. So Ryan moved to Oregon with us and we got a two, three bedroom apartment. And then he paid his part of the rent every month because he was more mature and he understood. <laughs> you guys have lived all over the we place. Have. We have. Oh, my word. And, you know, it was nice for <laughs> Sophia having her older brother there, too. Mm. So she liked beating him up all the time. So then we moved to Texas and he stayed in Oregon. And I think we were here about a year or two. And then he says, well, I'm ready to move. We said, OK, well, you can come here and live with us until you find a, you know, a job and a place. So he came here. He moved in with us, I think, after about six months of him sleeping in until 12 noon and ordering <laughs> Amazon boxes Boy, every day. Yeah, he finally got a job. So now he, he does installs for like those uh, self-serve mm. checkout, like at Cat, um, Costco and things like that. So he comes over maybe about every two weeks and mm. he comes over and he sits That's on the nice. couch with his cell phone. He talks to Sophia and he brings <laughs> us all kind of stuff from Costco. But, you know, it's funny because we Squirt. try to, we tell him about, you know, remember when you were growing up and you used to cry all the time? We called you crying, Ryan. He says, Mom, I don't remember ever being like that. <laughs> but he is the most mannerable boy now and Aww. very just even, even cute. I love it when that happens. You're like, okay. Yeah. They're, you know, because I've only mostly raised girls. I'm a mm-hmm. boy now, but, yeah. you know. They can get kind of surly. They yeah. go through those. But then they, and then they come out. to the other side and you're like, oh, they're yeah. human yep. and sweet yes. again. We really like them now. I, I always stop. Whenever <laughs> like, I, whenever you're I, our besties yes. now. Whenever I'll see like a, a, a lady, like a younger lady with screaming boy child or whatever, you know, I'll say, my son used to be like that. I said, it's only temporary. I know it seems frustrating She needs to right hear now. that. That's really yeah. sweet that you say that to her. You're like, I, I remember how frustrating when I would feel when he'd be screaming in public and everybody's looking at me and I'm like, oh my God. I'm Lord, doing the best me. I can over yeah. here. So. I said, you know, what? it's just going to be temporary. You're going to look back at this time and you're going to laugh. I know it doesn't seem like that right now. <laughs> you need stories to tell them, especially when they become parents. Yes. Because then you can be like, mm, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. You know how your child will not yeah. whatever yep. yours yeah that's yeah. what it, you're where they get it so, <laughs> so have you had it something that you could think of that in your adoption story that is a picture of what Christ has done for us who are believers yes I feel like he really gives us those second chances you know because I remember when I was younger like maybe in 2021 20, you know when I really thought I was I just thought I was so smart. I knew. We think we know so much. I knew more than everybody in the whole world, you know, and I had my life all planned out and I really didn't like kids. And I said, I'm, I'm never having any kids. (laughs) You know, I don't want kids. I'm never having kids. Popped off. Yeah. And then, you know, once I got married and all this happened, I thought, Lord, I thought I knew what I wanted. I thought I knew so much more than you, but I really need you. Mm. And, you know, for so many years, I really felt like he forgot about me. Seeing all these other people have children, go on with their life, just seemed like everything was working out for them. But nothing seemed to be working out for me. So it's like, I thought he forgot about me, but he didn't. You know, I thought I'm doing something by helping these kids, by adopting them. But it was the other way around. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. They it really is so amazing. <laughs> yes. And you wouldn't have done that if you would have had your children I and not had have. the ectopic pregnancy. I wouldn't have. You wouldn't be where you are. Yeah. So he turns what you think is the worst thing in your life. He turns it around for his glory. <laughs> mm. yeah. I love to be able to look back on that. Same with our kids. We would not be doing what we're doing. This life would not be what it is if things had gone yeah. what I thought was right. the best plan. Or even if I listened to other people, you know, other people told me, well, are you sure you want to adopt somebody else's kids? You know, I heard a story about this oh, one kid that burned down stories. your house. <laughs> right. So in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, maybe my friends are right. But they're not. <laughs> Yes. No, it's true. A lot of people do tell the worst case scenarios, especially yeah. with children who are not babies. Mm-hmm. But, but all they want to be is love. It's amazing when the Lord says love covers a multitude of sins. It really does. The different reactions from children based on the ones that don't receive the love they feel like they need and turn that same child around and put it into a different household. That same child acts totally different. Because he was supposed to be with you. Yeah. He was your child. Yep. Oh, How have you seen hope in this past year with all the changes that have happened and the shutdowns and all those kind of things? You know, I think it really gave people a chance to kind of pause and say, okay, all this other stuff I was chasing after, is it really important? Is it really going to stay on the test of time? You know, if I have this perfect car or this perfect house or this perfect this. No, it's about caring about my fellow human being. It's about sharing some sugar with somebody. Just the little things, you know? (laughs) Yeah, things we haven't had to do in our generation, really. Yes, And that's excellent. I thought so many times, like, I have never stopped like this in my entire life. Mm -hmm. I've been on go. Yes. It totally changed my life around. I mean, I was always like, gotta go to work, gotta do this, gotta do this. And the pandemic totally changed everything around for me. I was like, okay, I'm going to start a business. I have to, you know, the Lord has given me a lot of tools that I didn't realize that I had within me. A whole bunch of things I could do. I don't have to, you know, wait for somebody to give me a paycheck. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. I Just think a lot of people are doing mm. that now. And a lot of people are more so, they're patronizing other individuals instead of big corporations. Mm. You know, like I told mm-hmm. my husband, just little things like, we were going to get an exterminator. I said, oh, you know, instead of getting a big company, I said, I want to use that independent person. Yes, you know, that because, is true. Help you know, when the- I help them, that mm-hmm. helps them pay their mortgage, helps them pay their yes. rent, helps their kids go here or there, you know. The small businesses. Yes. And, yeah, we've been the same way. I think we've looked outside of everything mm-hmm. and yeah. had a big restart that we all needed. Yes. A lot of people are changing jobs or moving or doing different things, but. Yeah. Have you noticed how many conversations have you had in the last month or two now that things are coming out, like at the dog park or at the mm-hmm. grocery store? People are super chatty right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody was like too busy before. Now everybody has time to just sit and talk. Well, stop and actually have conversation. Yes. yes. I've had more meaningful conversations <laughs> in the last few months. I'm like, oh, yes. it feels so good. Yes. I think we all appreciate relationships. Yes, yes. Mm, I see a lot of hope in that. Do you have something low key that you make high key that you can think of? Um, I guess, I don't know. I always being the firstborn, you know, there's a certain standard that you always have to uphold, like almost thinking everything has to be perfect. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and, you know, even with Sophia, I'm like, I, okay, I'm trying to teach you these things. So when you go to school and your teacher gives you directions, you'll know how to do A, B, C, and D without them repeating. <laughs> and she's 
Well, mommy, there's only one perfect person, and that's Jesus. <laughs> and that makes me take a pause and be like, yeah, she's right. You know, why am I expecting perfection out of her mm. when I'll never be perfect? Well, n- none of us will ever <laughs> right. be perfect. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. We like to think ahead as a mom, though. Yeah, that's, think- that's the hard part because my husband's always telling me, stop trying to plan for everything. I said, well, you know, I just don't want anything to go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's not planning. It's just... You know, preparing. <laughs> it's all right. No, it's it's so true. We try to, especially as a mom, you never stop doing that. I mean, your kids are in their 30s. Mm-hmm. And do you still like think of like, well, I wonder how this is going or that's going. Yes. And we want, yeah. we do. We want what's best for our yes. kids, whatever age they are. Mm-hmm. What a blessing. And thank you for being brave with your adoption story, Deborah, because it's precious. And it's fun to see we're kind of flipped yes. because we started with the bios yes. and ended with... <laughs> Ended. Yes, I know. We mm-hmm. are done now with <laughs> with the adopted kids, but you're the other direction. Yes. But it's so precious how God put your family together the yes. way it was meant to be. And all of these kids, yeah. it's a blessing. It, it truly is a blessing. Yeah. It's like we I think, I thought God forgot about me, but God said, I have another story I've written for you. Just sit back he's and back wait. In, yes, he's back in the background working things. And it's really hard for us. But as we get older, we see more and more that we can look back. Yes. And, see the pieces that God's been just piecing together yes little bit by a little bit so well thank you so much for doing this I appreciate it I really enjoyed talking thank you you guys how great was that story I appreciate the honest way Debbie shared her journey not sure how I felt about her sampling her son's Ritalin but I mean it really was good to know (laughs) And what she shared about the African-American community and how everyone just seems to come along and take in an extra kid or two, even though it may not be with paperwork or a judge. I love that. It's what kids need. And truer words were never spoken when Debbie said, God gave me the life he planned, not the one I planned. This story proves there's so much blessing in the waiting. What an adventurous life they've led, and with a nine-year-old, so much more ahead. So until next week, let's all keep adopting it forward. Thank you so much for listening. Can you do me a huge favor? If you're enjoying the adoption stories, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode, which drops every Wednesday. It would also really help if you could leave a positive review. Five stars if you've got them. Do you or someone you know have an adoption story to tell? Please reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or through our website at largeentrywilliams.org. You can also find our show notes there. Today's show was edited by Will Rice. The whole thing was put together by my favorite guy, Stan. The website, largeentrywilliams.org, is managed by Leslie Serrano. Unconditional love and occasional mischief provided by Golden Doodles, Gus, and Coach. Thanks again for listening. Let's encourage each other as we are adopting it forward.